Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Corumbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus. Hey, good news. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. We're back to the normal format. We're also brought to you today by Quip, the electric toothbrush. Right now, Quip toothbrushes start at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you get your first refill pack for free. Getquip.com slash martini. Much more on that in just a moment. Jim, yesterday was all crazy, all about the media. So today, our good martini is about a good appraisal of the media. It comes from former CBS foreign affairs correspondent Lara Logan, who was also a 60 Minutes correspondent for a while. She was on the Mic Drop podcast with former Navy SEAL Mike Ritland, and the topic over an extensive conversation came to media bias. And we've uh, distilled it to, to two clips here that I'm sure will ruin Lara Logan's hopes for employment in the mainstream media ever again. Uh, but uh, here we go. First of all, she's uh, explaining how you know the media is not being straight with you. How do you know you're being lied to? How do you know you're being manipulated? How do you know there's something not right with the coverage? When they simplify it all, and there's no gray. There's no gray. Mm. It's all one way. Well, life isn't like that. If it doesn't match real life, it's probably not something's wrong, mm. right? She also points out that 85% of the media are registered Democrats. She says another 14 are probably just too lazy to register with the Democratic Party. Uh, but she says uh, it's always kind of been like that, but now it's getting to be reflected in the coverage a lot more. Although the media has always been, historically, always been left-leaning, we've abandoned um, our, our pretense, or at least the effort, to be objective today. The former executive editor of the New York Times has a book coming out, Jill Abramson, and she says we would do, I don't know, dozens of stories about Trump every single day, and every single one of them was negative. She said, we, be, we have become the anti-Trump paper of record. Well, that's not our job. That's a political position. That means we've become political activists, in a sense, and some could argue propagandists, mm -hmm. right? And there's some merit to that. Jim, there's a lot of truth right there, and she ought to know. You and I talked about her Benghazi story on 60 Minutes a number of years ago, which uh, was pretty tough on the Obama administration for being derelict in a number of areas leading up to those terrorist attacks. And then, of course, CBS uh, walked it back when the Obama administration, in the middle of a re-election campaign, didn't like it very much. And so uh, a lot has gone on here, and, and she should know firsthand. Yeah, I, I saw people immediately bringing that up, and it's worth going back and recalling that, you know, a lot of her reporting, what was a very gripping account, came from a guy named Dylan Davies, uh, manager of the local guard force at the U.S. Uh, installation in Benghazi. Um, in short, the source lied to her, uh, or at least what the source was telling her on camera didn't match what he told federal investigators. Um, now, some people, I, I saw people when she puts out this criticism in the media saying, well, yeah, yeah, what do you know, Laura, Lo Laura Logan? Um, you know, you, you got stories wrong, too. Yeah, but she then went on CBS this morning and, you know, offered not just a full apology, but explained, you know, how and why things had gone wrong. We know the media is going to make mistakes. Like a big question is, how do you respond to it? And I thought it really interesting. This, that more or less ended her career at CBS News. And we've seen lots of reporters get stuff wrong 
apparently in a bunch of people's minds, Greg, Dan Rather has redeemed himself. Um, (laughs) I don't remember that happening. Brian Williams still working for MSNBC, right? You know, all of these, all of a sudden, we had a very curious case about where the death penalty comes down, so to speak, uh, in journalism. And and so I I guess when we say, why is this the good martini? Well, Laura Logan is not somebody who, I don't think you can easily argue Laura Logan is somebody who comes at all of this with a giant partisan axe to grind that she's always been some sort of, you know, uh, you know, secret right winger or something like that, you know, kind of a little bit like Bernie Goldberg's story. Um, Conservatives have been making this argument for a really long time. I know a lot of people are tired of hearing about it. But, you know, the fact that they've been making this argument for a long time and people are tired of of hearing about it doesn't make it any less true. Um, And you'd like to think that this series of events, the Smollett case, the Covington kids, the uh, BuzzFeed article, they haven't really ever officially retracted it. They haven't said, oh, actually, no, our sources aren't accurate. They're standing by their story, even though the Mueller uh, investigation, which never comes out and says anything about this, actually, no, that report is not accurate. Um, we all, you know, we hear these things, then we just kind of you know, just hand wave it away. Eh, you know, it happens. You know, we're not going to worry about it too much. Um, look, maybe you're starting to see some serious discussion in different quarters about why the media is so bad. And I, I remember Jay Norlinger used to say, we used to have a biased media and conservatives would gripe about this. And now it's very clear. We have a partisan media. I think you can point to anything, you know, I don't want to endlessly beat the drum, but again, Greg, it's February 19th and uh, Ralph Northam is still the governor of Virginia. Right. <laughs> oh, a little while ago, that was not likely to happen. Everybody in the state said he was going to resign. And then everyone's like, yeah, okay. Oh, you don't want to? Okay. You must leave unless you want to stay. Then you're like, <laughs> Also, the fact that people are knee-jerk saying to Lara Logan, ah, you know, you botched the Benghazi report. So what do you know? You know, why should we listen to you? Well, actually, no. The fact that she was in this journalism for such a long time. Look, does that, you know, we just listened to the audio. Does that sound like a woman who's frothing at the mouth? Does that sound like a woman who's got some, you know, axe to grind against her former employers and this is driven by bitter, no. This is written by someone who spent her whole life in journalism and wants it to be better. And, you know, these are the kind of voices that people who run these big institutions should be listening to. Um, we'll see if they do, but it is kind of, you know, it, it is kind of reassuring to hear these sorts of arguments from people who are not perceived to be uh, partisan or heavily ideological operators, Greg. We need a cleansing, much like our teeth. <laughs> That's right. Jim, it's fascinating when you mentioned some of these names here. Uh, Bernie Goldberg, I believe, started with just a column in either the Post or the New York Times about media bias. He was soon out at CBS News. Uh, Cheryl Atkinson decided she was mm-hmm. going to find out as much as she could about Fast and Furious. She was out soon. Uh, Dan Rather actually did get the story wrong. He was out relatively soon. And now uh, Lara Logan. So I'm not sure what the uh, ultimate uh, takeaway is from that. But three people who uh, spoke out about media bias definitely found themselves on the chopping block. And then there's Dan Rather. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the lesson there, Greg, is that once a decade, we get one terrific figure at CBS News who strikes us on the right of handling things fairly or even handedly. Um, who's reporting we come to trust, who's we could be there. Oh, okay, maybe CBS News isn't that bad. And then those people leave, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
we can't have that. Oh, I kind of like that. Oh, and she's gone. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Oh, wow. All right. Well, if the media left a bad taste in your mouth from yesterday's martini, or just on a daily basis because you pay attention to what they're doing, uh, we can't necessarily get every newsroom to change how they do things, but we can get the bad taste out of your mouth, at least temporarily, with a Quip Electric toothbrush. One of the most important things that we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us, this is kind of embarrassing to point out, don't do it properly. But Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, more affordable, and even enjoyable. And here's why. Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations, which are gentle enough on your sensitive gums because people brush too hard and some electric toothbrushes are just too abrasive. There's a built-in two-minute timer pulse that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides, which helps to guide a full and even clean up to 90% of us don't brush for a full two minutes or don't clean evenly. The multi-use cover mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over your bristles for on-the-go brushing. It declutters your sink or cabinet and makes traveling with an electric toothbrush much easier. Quip does not require any clunky charger and it can run for three months on just one charge. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5. Because apparently three out of four of us Use bristles that are old, worn out, or ineffective. If today at lunch you're sitting with three other people, only one of you is probably brushing correctly. Um, Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. Uh, Greg, it's always worth mentioning that we, you know, we have a lot of fine sponsors on this program. The Quip toothbrush is one that I use every single day, more than once a day. Now, I can't say that about many of the products we uh, have as sponsors and used on this program. I may be very tempted to use my Hopsy beer machine twice a day, every day, <laughs> but I do not, despite what you might think of my commentary here. So, yes, uh, Quip toothbrush, the best toothbrush I've ever owned. Excellent. Excellent. And that's why Jim loves Quip. As I've mentioned in the past, uh, Mrs. Corumbus stole mine. She loves it. And that's why Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just $25. And if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you get your first refill pack of brushes for free with that purchase of a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash martini. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. All right, Jim. Uh, not much elbow room left in the Democratic presidential field as we head into our bad martini here. To very few people's surprise, Bernie Sanders is making a second go at this. He's switching back to being a Democrat, I guess, uh, once again. He did it in 2016. He's technically an independent. Switched to being a Democrat for the 2016 campaign. Switched back to independent. And now he's a Democratic candidate for president once again. Uh, I think he shocked just about everyone with how competitive he was against Hillary Clinton in 2016, which may say more about Hillary Clinton than it does about him. We'll find out this year. But he's out with his new two-minute campaign launch video. And if you're Bernie Sanders, this is, I think, is a pretty smart tack to take, which is bad for America. He's basically saying that, yeah, all these people love these far left ideas now, but guess who had them first? Bernie Sanders' health care for all idea is gaining steam. Free tuition, free college tuition, free tuition champion, Senator Bernie Sanders. Sanders added, the greatest threat to national security is climate change. The future of our planet is at stake. Sanders taking on Amazon. Bernie Sanders has been consistent hammering about income inequality. And here's how he closes the video. A major announcement from Amazon. Amazon will raise its minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour. 
350,000 workers. Thousands of workers at Disney World will get raises. It's a victory for Bernie Sanders. It's a victory for all workers. Brothers and sisters, we have a lot of work in front of us. If we are prepared to stand together, there is no end to what the great people of our nation can accomplish. So, Jim, there's a lot of people who pretty much agree with Bernie on everything in this race. So who knows if he'll uh, have the momentum he was able to put together in 2016. But the bad news here, at least from my perspective, is is that he's mainstreamed uh, these far left, call them what they are, socialist ideas. And the Democratic Party is now pretty much uh, embracing them wholeheartedly. Yeah. Uh, as I wrote uh, earlier today, Greg, you know, Bernie Sanders isn't just running on the same message that he had four years ago or, you know, when he was getting the 2016 cycle. He's running on basically the same message he had 40 years ago when he was you know, elected mayor in Burlington, I believe it was 1981. Um, he has always been a, a you know, wear it on his sleeve socialist. And I think one of the things that makes him uh, fascinating, but also I think particularly dangerous, uh, is the opposite. You know, he is the unchanging man, right? This is a guy who basically believes in socialism. Uh, he doesn't like the comparisons to Venezuela and the not so happy socialist countries. He keeps insisting, no, it's more like more like Northern Europe and all that stuff. But what's remarkable when you look back to see those old speeches, old uh, uh, interviews, stuff like that, everything I put in my 20 things you probably didn't know about Bernie Sanders piece that began this series. He's saying the same things, wants the same policies. Even back then, he was talking about millionaires and billionaires and the big banks and stuff like that. Um, but so nothing in his worldview really changed over four decades. Now, in that time, we saw collapse of the Soviet Union, a uh, whole bunch of economic booms from uh, uh, the Reagan years, the dot-coms, the, the Clinton years. Uh, obviously, we're enjoying a pretty good, you know, after a great recession, we've had a long, slow one that's acceler- recovery to accelerating now. Uh, just think of all the changes in technology, fracking, energy boom. Um, he's always been a protectionist, and this is an era where global trade and, you know, has increased, uh, has lifted, you know, close to billions of people out of out of poverty. Nothing really changed in his work. None of this had any impact. Um, the other thing I was thinking about is he obviously believes government can and should do much more. Way back in the '80s, when he was invited to some charity fundraiser, he began by saying, "I do not believe in charity. I believe this should be handled by the government," which is not usually your opening line at a charitable fundraiser. You know, that's <laughs> usually you're like, hey, what we're doing here is good. You know, he, he's never lost any faith in the government's ability to handle these sorts of duties. Not No scandal, no mismanagement, no cost overrun. None of that changed his worldview on this. Um, and as I mentioned, no experience with any country in socialism has made him say, well, wait, maybe we've got to be careful about this. Maybe we've got to be slow about this. Maybe this isn't going to work out the way, you know, he is the unchanging man. And it's just kind of marveling about this. The thing that I think we, we had, might be the silver lining to all this is going to be very interesting. You know, yes, he was the, one of the surprise candidates of 2016. What we're going to see in this big, crowded, noisy crowd of Democratic candidates, Greg, how much of his 2016 success was Democrats saying, yes, that Ben and Jerry's Vermont socialist, that's what I want. That is, a, And how much of it was just... You know, I really don't want Hillary. I'm a Democrat and I want something different. And, you know, obviously when the other options were Martin O'Malley and Jim Webb talking about how much he enjoyed killing people in Vietnam and uh, Lincoln Chafee pushing for the metric system, he he was the best out of the alternatives. And that's not going to be the scenario for this cycle. We'll see how things shake out. But um, well, the other thing, which is weird, Bernie Sanders is one of the few candidates who makes Donald Trump look young. 
he is 77 years old. Dad's right around that age. And, you know, I love him. I don't know if I'd want him running the country. You know? So a lot of 77-year-olds, they don't let him drive, Greg. Although I guess, you know, theoretically, if you put him in a presidential motorcade, it's safer that way. <laughs> Who am I kidding, Greg? He'd want to ban internal combustion cars anyway. <laughs> Yeah, he'll be 79 come Election Day 2020. So I'll have you answer your own question as we exit here. What do you think 2016 was? Uh, the Democratic Party coming around to embracing socialism, as perhaps reflected in these other candidates? Or just, uh, I don't want Hillary, and he's the best option? Well, let me put it this way. If you lose to Donald Trump, you're <laughs> probably a flawed candidate. <laughs> and it's quite possible Democrats... You know, from everything from the Wall Street speeches to the questions about donations to the Clinton Foundation to all this kind of stuff, it's quite possible that a whole bunch of Democrats, you know, took a long, took, you know, look, everybody knew Hillary. Hillary had been on the national stage for 25 years. Maybe there were a lot of Democrats early on were saying, yeah, I don't know if I, I, I didn't like this in 2008. Don't understand why you're bringing it back to me now. Uh, and we're looking for other options and stuff like that. So Bernie Sanders was not a blank slate candidate. But can, you know, sometimes voters do have that tendency to see what they want to see in candidates and stuff like that. So my suspicion is that issues and policy stances will not actually be the deciding factor uh, in this. Maybe one of the offsetting strengths for Sanders will be there's no artifice to this man. Yeah. He doesn't pretend to be anything he's not. You know, a lot of people are set, you know, say they're centrist and govern to the left. No, no, no. This guy's this. He's open. Um, and maybe some people will appreciate that in terms of authenticity. But uh Look, he just looks like he's uh, uh, past his prime and, you know, in a lot of different ways, Greg. All right, let's move on to our crazy martini now, but staying with the 2020 campaign trail. And once again, we're talking about Kamala Harris, the California senator. Uh, she had a, quite a strong tweet after the alleged attack against Empire actor Jesse Smollett a couple of weeks back, January 29th, to be precise. She tweeted out, Jesse Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin we must confront this hate. And to be sure, many other uh, liberals, uh, politicians, presidential candidates, celebrities pretty much said the same thing when that story broke. But now, of course, as we've discussed, and most of you are aware, the Chicago police are, are pretty confident that this was all staged. Uh, more details coming to light. Yesterday in Concord, New Hampshire, Fox News caught up with uh, Kamala Harris. At least they got the footage of this. I'm not sure it's their reporter who's asking about whether she still stands by her tweet. Which tweet? What tweet? Uh, the, about uh, saying that it is a modern day lynching that. Um, uh, sorry. <laughs> Jesse Smollett. Um, okay, so I will say this about that case. I think that the facts are still unfolding, and um, I'm very um, concerned about obviously. I'm not sure why Fox cut it there. It says she's concerned about, obviously, the initial allegation that he made about what might have happened. And it's something we should all take seriously whenever anyone um, alleges that kind of behavior. But there should be an investigation. Harris added, quote, and I think that once the investigation has concluded, then we can all comment. But I'm not going to comment until I know the outcome of the investigation. So, Jim, what do you make of her being completely unprepared for some reason for that question? And the fact that her attitude towards the investigation is much different than it was a few weeks ago. Yeah. Oh, sure. Now she doesn't want to rush to judgment. Um, you could apply that to Cory Booker and a bunch of other Democratic lawmakers. Uh, so the, in a way, it's kind of surprising we haven't seen some version of this scandal before. Uh, or if we have seen it, we haven't seen it on this scale. 
look, almost every single politician has some member of their communications team who handles their social media, whose job is to update the Twitter feed uh, and the Facebook feed and the Instagram feed and all these sorts of things. And, you know, will some uh, politicians do it themselves? Sure. I remember there was uh, during the Obama years, if it ended with B.O., uh, it was not Bo the dog who was doing it. It was the president <laughs> himself who had written that one. It was meant to indicate, the, you know, this this was a real tweet from the president, not just one from somebody on his staff. And I think it's safe to say, um, if you don't think that Trump doesn't write some of his own tweets, uh, Greg, I have some kofif to sell you. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, they're authentic. I'll give you, I'll give you that. You know, you know, in all likelihood, Kamala Harris has somebody handling her Twitter feed. They saw the Jesse Smollett news article. Apparently, Cory Booker had just uh, tweeted about it, calling it a modern-day lynching. And there was this sense of, "Oh God, we got to jump on the we got to jump on the bandwagon, right? We, we we can't let Booker outdo us on this one. Quick, quick, get a Jesse Smollett. Uh, they talk about how great he is. Come on, he's a swell. You know that kind of that that mentality of you can't be left behind. You don't want to be the last pre Democratic presidential candidate to you know extend your your sympathies to Smollett and denounce." the gangs of roving, red-hatted, MAGA, homophobe, racist, you know, storming through the streets of Chicago, et cetera. It is also very likely, or at least judging, either judging from Kamala Harris's reaction there, either she completely forgot about the staff saying, oh, by the way, we sent out a tweet on, on Jussie Smollett, or maybe they never told her, and maybe they didn't brief her. And some, you know, some people say, look at that video, it looks like she's kind of, you know, there's, a, <laughs> there's, an, there's an expression of disapproval at somebody on her communications staff uh, going on, going, you know, coming across her face as she realizes she has no idea about what this this tweet was. Now, I think if, if somebody had been honest about it and said, you know, um, boy, I don't remember much about that tweet. I got to look at this further before I give you a full, you know, there's, there's, look, I, there seems to be some sort of like mentality that if, if a politician ever says, you know, I don't know enough about that. I'm going to have to look up more before I can give you a good answer. That there's some sort of scandal, that there's some sort of, ah, egads, you know, uh, how could they be so ignorant of this sort of thing? You know, remember uh, Gary Johnson, apparently he thought Aleppo was some sort of uh, uh, acronym or, or something like that. Again, uh, kind of a humorous moment here. I, I think what's more revealing, though, is that now that the facts don't look very good for Smollett, and that this does not appear to have been a modern day lynching attempt. In fact, it was a, uh, appears to be a hoax. It appears to be a, a ploy for, for public sympathy and attention and stuff like that. Now, all of a sudden, Democratic lawmakers like, look, I, I got to refrain from making judgment here. We, we can't jump to any conclusions here, even though before it was like, oh, my goodness, look at how terrible Trump's America is. Makes me wish there really was the jump to conclusions game from office space. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, at the very least, you could like count the jumps. <laughs> right, exactly. Some would argue, you know, look, <laughs> I suppose it's a relatively fit uh, group of candidates out there. But let's face it, for some of these candidates, jumping to conclusions is the only exercise they get. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, I hope we can have a conclusion that there will be a podcast tomorrow. But, uh, Jim, as you know, they're expecting a little bit of snow here in the area. Snow! So, pure panic. Cancel school for the rest of February. <laughs> the, the estimates are anywhere from two to nine. Yes. So thanks, thanks for narrowing it down, forecasters. <laughs> But I'm sure the school cancellations will roll in today hours and hours before the first flake drops. But uh, So hopefully we'll all make it to work tomorrow and we'll have another podcast, uh, certainly Thursday at the very latest. Jim, have a great day. Buckle down. Get that uh, milk, bread, and toilet paper, and we'll hopefully see you tomorrow.
See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And be sure to visit our friends over at Quip. Remember, Quip toothbrushes start at $25. Go to getquip.com slash martini right now, and, and you'll get your first refill pack of brushes for free. And tune in, we think, tomorrow for the next Three Martini Lunch. <laughs>